0: To another episode of the Cats HQ Podcast. I'm John Hale, sitting alongside Fletcher Page. We are officially into the postseason basketball portion of the Cats HQ Podcast 2018 edition. This week, we are looking ahead to the SEC tournament. Now that we know what the bracket looks like, now that we know that Kentucky does have the double bye, they kind of backed into it with a uh, less than impressive loss at Florida, to say the least. Uh, they're the four seed, thanks to a Arkansas loss to Missouri. Uh, they will play the winner of Missouri and uh, Georgia Vanderbilt, uh, depending on which of those two teams wins the first game on Wednesday, on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time in St. Louis, 2 p.m. Central. Let's start with the weekend, though. Fletcher, you were in Gainesville. Uh, a lot of build up to that Florida game. Quade Green obviously said some things that were headline uh, headline worthy after the game before that. John Calipari had kind of said that the Ole Miss game was the biggest game of the year because it took some pressure off Florida. Uh, and we talked on the podcast Friday about whether the turnaround for Kentucky was real. Uh, It certainly did not look real on Saturday. Do we put much stock into that moving into postseason play, Uh, or was it kind of a one-off and a road game, which they obviously won't have to play any more of those down the stretch?
1: Well, I certainly think it was a learning lesson. You know, John Calipari said today on the teleconference that he changed his practices the week of that game and I think that that led to a pretty subpar performance overall against Ole Miss, and then the loss to Florida. And that he stopped scrimmaging, which I thought it was—I thought it was interesting that that, that late in February, yeah. he mentioned a couple of weeks ago that they were scrimmaging and that he was using different lineups. Uh, but that's what led maybe to discovering or feeling confident enough to play that that lineup with PJ and Vanderbilt in there together um, with A and Shea and Kevin. So yeah, you know, Calipari did. It, I think that you. I understand why Calipari changed the stop scrimmaging because the old Miss game was on Wednesday. It was a noon game to Florida, so obviously you don't want you guys getting beat up there. Uh, but this this group has proven that they're different than any other team that Calipari's had, probably his biggest challenge, and I think he learned that he's got to keep them competitive in practice. We speculated a little bit last week on the
0: podcast that maybe if they lost at Florida or lost a game in the SEC tournament, that might be the, the final kind of spur that gets Calipari to make that last week to, to finally start starting the the best five that we know we have decided are Kentucky's best five, and he has basically said our Kentucky's best five, uh, move Diallo and Nick Richards and Wayne and Gabriel to the bench in favor of uh, Jared Vanderbilt, P.J. Washington, and Kwade Green, or at least uh, make two of those three moves maybe and leave one of those guys coming off the bench. Do you think that's going to happen now? Do you think we'll see a change in the starting lineup in St. Louis? I don't know that it was the start that necessarily doomed them in Florida, but at least in postseason play when every minute's – Important, you don't want to be digging yourself into bigger holes, and at this point it, it probably makes sense to make sure your best five are out there from the get-go. Do you think Cal agrees with that at this point?
1: Yeah, I think so. And it was pretty obvious to me. I don't think, Cal, I don't think Kentucky started great at Florida, but it was a competitive first half until P.J. Washington and Jaron Vanderbilt headed to the bench with two fouls each, and then Florida right. made 16 of its next 18 shots that and just ran away with those it. Games. Yeah. Right, so um, the the problem for Kentucky – I think it's easy to see that that they had six assists which was a right. complete re, you know a revert Bad. from what they they've been averaging 15 and a half during the four game winning streak. And defensively they just looked completely disconnected. I don't know what the what the issue that causes it is necessarily. That's for Calipari and his staff to figure out, but you can see it on offense when they're playing as individuals and not as a collective. Their offense looks so much more fluid when they have Jared and, yep. and PJ in that lineup. And then when they when they've got some other pieces out there, it just it just doesn't look right. And I don't know if maybe you dig yourself a hole at Florida, and then you you don't have those two guys in there for energy and rebounding, and the lineups are just comprised of some guys that are maybe trying to do too much. But I think a lot of it falls on Shea, and yeah. he ends up with five turnovers because basically the offense just turned it back into let Shea try to drive to the hole and see what happens, and it just didn't work out.
0: Yeah, and and that is similar again. I know there are so many comparisons this year with that 2014 Kentucky team that made the run to the national championship game. Uh, but before his you know, famous uh, SEC tournament tweak that year, the, the offense was Andrew Harrison driving to the basket and trying to get fouled or whatever. I thought it was interesting that after the game, Florida – at Florida um, Calipari made the point that even though Shea was one of the guys they brought out to interviews for you all because he had a a decent offensive night scoring the ball and there wasn't a lot of other options that Cal went out of his way to say that Shea did not play well today Mm -hmm. that he uh, that he was one of the guys who was not passing the ball the way he should have Uh, how do you think he's ready to to handle that pressure I mean Cal has set him up so much in the last month as their best player the guy who's working hardest that does all the things off the court that smiles when he needs to with a Episode of the uh, the Facebook Live documentary this week had a lot of stuff in it about Shay and and how uh, he doesn't have the same pressure on his back that some of these other guys seems to. Of course, that was from December, but uh, it was interesting that came out. Is he ready to be that guy? Is it fair to put all this on Shay at this point, or is that does he have I guess any other option?
1: I think it's fair. Uh, it's, to me, I think that I think Shay also have had some forced shots too. Yeah, and there were some times when he had Kevin open quad a i quad a green starts that game and hits three his first three three pointers yep and doesn't shoot another one i mean that that's just that's inexcusable uh so yeah I mean I think at this point I think Shea's proven that he's he's mentally tough um and he's got that he's got whatever that gene is that makes him a, a mentally strong player so I think if cal's gonna call it like he sees it the five turnovers weren't great but I also thought that he had some four shots too um you know what what really obviously pj and jerry getting in foul trouble let florida kind of get away what brought kentucky back was playing zone defense it slowed the game down you know the gators wanted to play fast and i talked to chris Chioza after the game and he said their game plan was actually to go fast at kentucky and try to attack them in transition um and he kind of surprised me by saying that he act, they, that they usually want to set up on the three-point line in transition but he said they wanted to go right to the basket at kentucky partially due to their length, but I think a lot of that probably had to do with trying to get Kentucky in foul trouble, which they were successful at doing.
0: We uh, mentioned that starting lineup or whether there was a lineup change. A couple of the two starters that everyone wants out of the lineup at this point, uh, Hamidou Diallo was 0 for 7 at Florida from the field, 0 for 3 from three-point range, did make one free throw. Uh, He was playing hard, I thought, had four rebounds, but he was obviously not contributing much offensively overall. And Nick Richards, bizarrely, Uh, Maybe it was just Cal wanting to to get him going and leaving him out there. Played most of the second half, especially when they're – or at least most of the time that the guys in foul trouble were out. Played 19 minutes, uh, was one for two from the field with four rebounds, whereas Sasha Collette Jones played four minutes in that game. Uh, Anything that we can read into those two performances from Nick Richards and Diallo uh, is – I think the – we knew that Richards has just not been very good recently, and I don't think you can count on him going into postseason. We talked a lot about that last week. But the narrative had kind of been, and I wrote about this, so I'm as guilty as anybody, that Diallo had turned the corner, that he had broken out of this slump, that he had played pretty well in the, in the two games against uh, Ole Miss and whoever they played before that that I forget now. Uh, but he looked pretty much like regular Hamadou in terms of offensively, at least from that month-long slump uh, that we saw for most of SEC play against Florida on Saturday. What did you make of his performance? I guess specifically on
1: Saturday there in purpose in yeah. person in road games. Hami is he's one of, of his last nine from three from the three point line. So he was able to sort of bring himself back up in Rupp yeah. Arena at home against not very good Ole Miss team and a decent Missouri team. Um, so I think that at this point, I mean homie has got to drive the ball. I mean I know on the season he's thirty three percent from three. Um, but I think that that's like it seems like P.J. Washington is the is in a is a great example of a guy that it seems like Cal set all these guys. He said he set all these guys down, defined their role. P.J. since that time has just been aggressive, taking the ball to the rim, aggressive launching at rebounds. Yeah. He's he's done great with that. It seems like Hami sort of has keeps bouncing around. You don't I don't really know what he wants to be for himself. And he's got a little bit of an identity crisis out there, and I know Cal's left him in the starting lineup because if you put a guy like that on the bench, you know I don't know if he'd be able to overcome that with his confidence. Same with Nick Richards. Once Nick's confidence is, I don't wouldn't even call it fleeting because I don't know if it's there to begin with in games. So Cal's gonna have to play psychologist with these two guys because like he always says, Isaac Humphrey's being the best example at some point. These guys are going to have to play, whether it be a, be foul trouble on other people or there's going to be a time, and th- those guys are going to have to step up.
0: Um, now, right before we, we shift kind of focus to St. Louis and what's going to happen there, um, the other side of those two guys playing or Nick playing as much as he did was Sasha Clay Jones not playing really at all. He had four minutes against uh, at Florida has obviously not played – I think he's not played more than seven minutes since he got back from uh, missing that game for his grandfather's funeral. Uh, For as bad as Nick has been recently, it appears that Calipari is just not willing to give Sasha much run or an opportunity out there, and and we don't know what's going on in practice, so it could be an obvious thing in that situation. But considering the foul trouble with PJ and Jared in that game uh, and how little he played, is there any hope for Sasha Kalea-Jones to be a contributor on this team? And what is the solution if they run into a game, in, especially in the real tournament next week, where P.J. and Jared get into foul trouble? Or is it just over at that point, I guess?
1: I think so. I, 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 at this point, I feel like Sasha's playing out of position. I think he's a four, and he's on a team that's got uh, many fours in front okay. of him. Uh, Jared, P.J., Winyan, even Kevin Knox. So uh, it's unfortunate for him that he's got to play the five, and he's just sort of – pinned in behind Nick Richards. It's obvious Cal's not going to play Sasha over Nick. And I feel like Sasha's being asked to do some things that maybe if he was elsewhere, he wouldn't be doing.
0: All right, let's shift focus a little bit to to St. Louis now. Uh, The bracket is out, obviously, with Kentucky's uh, backing into that number four seed. They now play, well, Missouri on Thursday plays the winner of Georgia and Vanderbilt. Whoever wins that game and then uh, plays Missouri the next game plays Kentucky. At 3 p.m. in St. Louis, the quarterfinals, they're on the same side of the bracket as Auburn, uh, the number one seed, which is maybe the easier side of the bracket now considering Auburn's kind of health issues. Texas A&M and Alabama are also in that side of the bracket feeding into the Auburn game, uh, and you would not have to face Tennessee, Florida, or Arkansas until the SEC championship game on Sunday were they to make it that far. For me, the most important part going into this tournament is that Kentucky's NCAA tournament resume, they have three quadrant one victories right now. And one of them is borderline because uh, Texas A&M I think is like 24-25 in the RPI and only top 30 RPI home wins count as quadrant one. So if Texas A&M was to lose to Alabama uh, on Thursday, maybe they would drop out of that and you would lose one. But Kentucky could pick up three quadrant one wins with Missouri, Auburn, A&M, Tennessee, Florida, uh, or Arkansas if they play those. Six teams uh, in any combination in three-way. They could double their quadrant one wins. John Calipari thinks the SEC tournament does not mean anything at all for NCAA tournament seeding. He has been very adamant on that point. Again, after the Florida game, he dismissed, uh, said he hates conference tournaments. He doesn't care, and it doesn't matter. Uh, do you think, though, that Kentucky can actually improve their tournament seeding uh, with a strong performance in St. Louis this
1: week? Yeah, I think it shakes out pretty well for them. Uh, I like their matchup against Auburn if they get past Missouri. Um, that'll be a pretty good win. I think Kentucky could get could get to the four line, um, but they, I think they're basically going to have to keep themselves from falling to the six, which that would potentially have them playing in Nashville. But currently at bracketmatrix.com, which is awesome. You guys should spend a lot of time there. Um, Kentucky is the last five
0: seed. Right. So they're just ahead of Florida, too, right. which obviously has two head-to-head wins against Right.
1: Them. So they're, they're in the danger zone. Um, I think if they get to Sunday – uh, they'll be they'll be a five, and I think it lines up well. You mentioned the three teams. I think I don't think it's a good matchup for them with Tennessee and Florida. Obviously, they've they've already been beaten by those teams twice each. And then Arkansas, I think, is a really dangerous team no matter who they play due to their seniority and and their dynamic guards. So, uh, pretty good path for Kentucky. Um, I I don't see them getting to a four um, if they can just I really if they can just win one game. I think they'll be a five. And uh, then we might be trying to book flights to Boise or San
0: Diego. That is appearing to be the most likely scenario here. Um, Joe Lenardi does actually have Kentucky as a six seed mm-hmm. today, playing in Nashville in that first round, which uh, the three seed in that tournament pod would be.
1: North Carolina? Yes. Or Michigan State? Michigan State. Michigan State Michigan North Carolina State. being the two.
0: Doing the two. So it's a, it's a very difficult bracket, but uh, don't put much stock into tournament paths at this point in these bracketologies. It's more about seed lines and. Uh, locations well, and those you, kind of things.
1: I'll tell you what, I, I think Kentucky doesn't want to be a six if miss, if a team like Middle Tennessee State is an 11. Yeah. I think that's the kind of team that could really run them out of this thing quick.
0: Yeah, and they have the uh, – and Lenardi's bracket, at least, they're against that 11 play-in game, which is uh, Texas-USC, um, theoretically. Those, like you said, yeah. those, are, those are dangerous teams. UCLA-Alabama is another one. Obviously, they wouldn't play against Alabama. But Louisville, if they uh, were to win a game or two in the ACC tournament and could get in the tournament field, you would figure would be in that playing game at this point. Uh, So some intrigue there for sure. But for me, it seems almost certain that Kentucky's going to be a five seed unless they were to lose to Missouri or, you know, heaven forbid, they lost to one of those really bad teams from the or Georgia and Vanderbilt were to make it a couple days and and beat Kentucky at that point. Uh, So if they win the first one, I got to think they're pretty confident in a five. And then basically the four or five doesn't really matter. Right. Uh, other than theoretically your four seed would have an easier first game. But if you're not going to beat the twelve seed or the thirteen seed, you're well, out of luck anyway. It doesn't matter if you can't beat those two teams. So that path doesn't make doesn't matter. I, if they made it to Sunday, if they were to win the whole thing, do you think there's any way they could get a three seed? As the I last don't three? think so. Okay. And I think that I think t- history has played that out. That's that's the interesting debate for me with Calipari's a uh, conspiracy theory about conference tournaments. He says it doesn't matter. He says it doesn't help. I think he got asked after the game Saturday if it's good for this team because you have some more time to land the plane, as he likes to say. And he said, ah, I still don't like conference tournaments or whatever. The point that I think he is right on is that Sunday's result in the SEC tournament has apparently no bearing at all uh, on the tournament seed. I know they say that they don't have the bracket set and blah, blah, blah. But two years ago when Kentucky beat Texas A&M in the final and they had split in the regular season and A&M was seated higher than Kentucky. Uh, so I think that the, the evidence supports that Sunday doesn't matter. So what you would do Friday and what you would do Saturday might have some distance. And, and the, the counterpoint is that the SEC has been terrible for most of the time that Calipari is here. So, of course, it doesn't matter. What's it matter if you beat uh, two teams that aren't going to make the tournament anyway on the way to Sunday? That's not the case this year. There are quality teams they're going to have to beat to even get to the final But if they get there, I can't imagine that that game is going to matter much. And like we said, we don't think they can win it anyway. So the three seed appears to be out of reach at this point, I would think. Yeah,
1: they'd have to pass at least eight teams to get to that three line. And uh, and on that three line is Auburn and Tennessee. Those teams are much more deserving than Kentucky, uh, even if Kentucky was able to beat them head-to-head at at this point. Yeah, I mean,
0: both of them beat in the regular season. I think Kentucky needed to win at Florida Saturday to have any chance at that. And I think that basically ended the story there. Uh, So the moral of this is uh, if Kentucky's a 4 or 5, if you go through the the bracket projections and do the math based on assigning teams to their closest tournament pod, uh, they're almost certainly going to be in San Diego or Boise uh, for that first weekend of the tournament, which is not going to make for a very big crowd, I can not imagine. But there aren't many West Coast teams who are going to be involved anyway, so Kentucky might still have an advantage for whatever fans do show up in Boise. Uh, Flights are not cheap. We've already been looking at that in our own travel looking ahead. Uh, What do you think that would do? uh, Or I I guess here's the question. If the tournament seating is set for this weekend, what can Kentucky get out of St. Louis, assuming they don't lose to a terrible team in the first round?
1: Well, yeah, I think that this is a team that – that four-game winning streak, while anytime you win four games in a row, it's impressive. But three of those games were at home. Um, those games weren't exactly against the greatest teams. And Kentucky's shown now that, that I mean, they lost, to, they lost to Auburn once, Tennessee twice, Florida twice. Those are the three teams ahead of them in the conference. Those are probably the three teams that people will respect nationally. So I think it would be good for them to get into a game against Auburn, yep. win that game feel good about yourself moving on next and then get another opportunity against a three C a three C in the NCAA tournament, a team like Tennessee or maybe Florida or again, Arkansas. So um, I know that it is bothersome f- to play three games in three days. Um, but I feel like this group can continue using all the reps that they can get. And I know at this point you, you would normally say, look, you got what you got, you know, like what other strengths can Cal yeah. pull here? But I I still think that Jared Vanderbilt's return in January changed the, um, I guess, what would you call it, a learning curve? Right, yeah. And I still think this team needs more reps. And it's quite quite clear now is going to be scrimmaging on Tuesday and Wednesday hard. They're going to practice hard. Um, They're still doing that. And it's March. I think the more games, the better.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, for Vanderbilt in particular, this is an important week to see how he handles uh, back-to-back games, three games maybe in three days before you go into a tournament where you're going to be playing high-intensity games every other night uh, each weekend. That's going to be important to see. Uh, For me, I hate to keep going back to this, but I think it's the perfect opportunity for him to change up that starting lineup and to experiment with it. I wouldn't, at this point, want to do it if it was a win-or-go-home kind of situation. I don't know that you want to mess that much up. But I think you got to see if the lineup makes a difference – uh, that first game in St. Louis, if Missouri wins against uh, Georgia or Vanderbilt, will be really interesting because you got to imagine Kentucky's going to have a large number of fans in St. Louis, probably not nearly as many as they would have in Nashville in a normal year. But Missouri would assume, presumably have either the most fans or the second most fans because it's in their state. So that could be a very uh, intense kind of atmosphere that day. Uh, it could be a true neutral site venue, knowing as well as Kentucky fans travel uh, and basically the home court from Missouri. Uh, that will be really interesting to see. And then, if they knock Missouri out of the out of the tournament that first game on Friday, uh, you would think that a lot of blue is going to get in on Saturday and Sunday just from Missouri fans who have scalp tickets or whatever else available. And the other question comes in: Is is Michael Porter Jr. going to play this week? Uh, they issued a statement Saturday that he didn't play in their final regular season game, but all the momentum seems to be that he is going to play in St. Louis. That he is going to play in the in the SEC tournament at some point. How does that affect things? I know that Calabria apparently did not very much want to address that situation on the SEC teleconference today. Is that he did correct? not
1: articulate his thoughts very well. That's uh, not unusual. Kind of, yeah, he kind of pinballed all over the place. Um, I think he tried to say at one point that it would. Everybody was it kind of asked that question. Mike White at Florida got it too, and it's hard for another coach to answer about a player that they don't coach and about a team that they don't that they've only seen maybe once or twice in a season. But it it, it will be we've seen it sort of play out here right, with, Vanderbilt. with Vanderbilt, but also last year, you know, the, the threat yeah. of Hamadou Diallos, I, it would have been nice if Cal would have maybe said, right. you know, we, we've kind of had a situation where it might could have happened. Um, but, uh, I don't, I don't know if that will be good for Missouri or not.
0: Yeah. And, and I, think the, the comparison to make in that situation too, for Kentucky's sake, uh, is as much as they've talked about the Vanderbilt adjustment over the last month or so, um, he hasn't really made that one-to-one comparison between Vanderbilt and Diallo last year either because he was so adamant about what it would do. I think maybe that's because now, knowing what we know about Hamadou Diallo, that he wouldn't have helped that team last year, that that was the, the issue, the reason, main reason he didn't push harder for him to play. Uh, but it, there's no question it changes what a team can be or chemistry, lineups, rotations, You can't imagine he's going to be able to play a lot, uh, especially maybe he plays uh, some against Georgia or Vanderbilt. Uh, The back-to-back-to-back games is going to be difficult for him coming off an injury. So who knows if he's even going to be out there for Kentucky. But it's at least another question for that opening game, uh, which for me is the most important one in this tournament for Kentucky. If they lose to Missouri, then I think the sixth seed is a risk. Uh, And it's not going to be an easy win, even though they, they beat Missouri pretty handily at Rupp recently. Uh, but Auburn does not scare me very much in that second game because of their health, because of their injuries. I'm not even sure that Kentucky is going to be playing Auburn in the semifinals. Uh, I think that there's a chance that it's going to be A and M or, or basically, M. It's not going to be Alabama. But um, if they do, I think they got to get past Missouri. If they don't, uh, the things become much more interesting.
1: That's right, six seed, which for some fans they might enjoy because that that game will most certainly be in Nashville. Um, but I, I fully anticipate we're going to be booking to San Diego and I'm not going to apologize
0: for that. <laughs> San Diego would be uh, interesting. I'm I'm rooting for Boise just because uh, I don't really have, uh, I'm going through my 50 states. I don't know there's much of a reason that I'm going to end up in Idaho uh, anytime soon. Uh, so I think that would be an easy excuse to get it off the list, but uh, travel is not cheap there. So uh, we'll see how that goes. San Diego would definitely be warmer, uh, mm-hmm. which would be fun in March and we'll see how that happens. There's a chance Kentucky could be uh, in San Diego and Los Angeles, back-to-back weekends if they were to make it there, which would be all sorts of interesting. Um, Omaha, Boston, Atlanta, the other uh, regionals, obviously, for the next week. Uh, Kentucky fans, I imagine, are rooting for Nashville to fall. Uh, I think they might be in that, that bracket of get to a six and get closer to home. But that uh, the the teams that are in that three line make it really hard to imagine that they would even make it to the second weekend at that point. So I think you got to get in that 4-5 game. Regardless, if it's you know halfway across the country or whatever,
1: yeah, yep, I I, I know Calipari hates the tournament, the SEC tournament, uh, but th- they really need to get through Friday.
0: Yeah, and then now that Kentucky may or may not be raising their cigarette tax, uh, the cigarette <laughs> money that Calipari always talks about fans using to go uh, go to the SEC tournament, maybe that'll that'll come into play <laughs> this year or not. Uh, we will have more podcasts uh, throughout postseason play. Maybe we'll be back. I don't think we're going to be back in St. Louis this week for another podcast, but maybe before the final game, a selection show preview, if they make it that far. We will certainly be back next Monday after the bracket has been revealed to break down Kentucky's bracket. We will tell you our picks uh, on the on the podcast, who we think is going to make the Final Four, who the teams to watch are in Kentucky's bracket, who the sleepers are, the dark horses, players to watch, all that stuff. We'll have it all break, broken down in a special SEC tur- or NCAA tournament preview show uh, episode of the cat city podcast on monday for now though make sure you're following fletcher at fletcher page on twitter i'm at john hill underscore cj Uh, until next week though thanks for listening